Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we had episode number two with the amazing Gabriella Rosa, who is a fertility specialist. It was such a great episode and we touched on many different topics, but moreover, we really spoke a lot about PMS and managing those sorts of symptoms, as well as fertility and just some of the considerations that you might want to keep in mind if you are looking to get pregnant. So there are a lot of little key takeaways that you can implement straight away. So we are so excited to bring you guys this episode. Let's get into it. It's time to level up. Gabriella, thank you so much for returning to the podcast. You first came on episode 26 and now episode 101. We just couldn't wait to get you back. And so much has changed since then. You've now got your own podcast, which is amazing. You've finished your studies at Harvard University and... There's a list of amazing things that you've accomplished since then. So we could not wait to have you on again um, and really just expand on more amazing topics, particularly around managing PMS and preparing for fertility. So you being the women's health expert, talking about all of this stuff that we love sharing because it's so important. So thank you so much for coming back on. Oh my God, it's such an honor and privilege. And when I get this kind of introduction, I'm like, oh my God, how could I not love to be here? So no, thank you so much for having me. And yes, absolutely. You know, I also want to say thank you for your amazing contribution to Talk Sex with Gabriella Rosa, because you guys did an amazing job. I received so many comments on, you know, how great that episode was. So thank you as always. And yes, I think that This is a big topic, you know, and it's a big topic of conversation that I would feel absolutely delighted that you guys field questions as I go through and discuss some of these things because, you know, sometimes it's not until you are going through an experience and there might be an experience of PMS or severe PMS or infertility, miscarriage, it's not until you actually experience those things or go through those challenges that you realize that they are problems and that Mm -hmm. they are challenges Mm -hmm. and that so many people experience those challenges. You know, often I see my patients and I've been doing this work now for 20 years and people that come to me often have been trying to conceive for a very long time and they have many different Mm -hmm situations in their life in their environment in their biochemistry that causes them to feel and experience different things in their bodies and sometimes they they really go through years of these challenges and they're like gosh you know I must be so abnormal this is just so you know not not this can't possibly be normal Mm. you know I'm, I'm going through an isolated experience here and, uh, and this is terrible and they don't know where to turn and they don't know what to do. But the truth is that it's pretty much every woman mm-hmm. that will experience these symptoms from time mm-hmm. to time and they don't really understand why they're happening. Sometimes they can't really correlate it. When it comes to infertility, you know, we've got millions of people worldwide who experience infertility and often when people are going through it, they think that they're the only ones, but mm. truly one in six couples at this point 
experiences infertility. And I don't have to tell you that premenstrual syndrome and hormonal imbalances that cause symptoms of premenstrual syndrome are extremely common, uh. right? It's uh, it's a, it's an epidemic. If there is, in fact, we could call it a pandemic if it was if we could use use that term for this particular situation, which we cannot. As an epidemiologist, I can tell you, uh, but. You know, I think that it's the most similar thing that we could equate it to because even though the symptoms are so common, in fact, premenstrual symptoms are so common that they often get labelled as normal. Mm. And think about it, right? I mean, when you're going through from your follicular phase, which is the first half of your cycle, through to your luteal phase, the second half of your cycle, and those changes in hormones occur that make you feel differently throughout the cycle and sometimes for some women they experience all sorts of dysfunction or disharmony in this in the system that you know for, for some women it could be sore painful breasts or you know feeling bloated constipation acne all sorts of different types of symptoms can occur and this is the really interesting thing too when it comes to PMS and the common symptoms of PMS that most women will complain about because they are so common as I said before they get called normal which they're not normal yeah. but the reality is that they can change throughout the sim throughout the, the 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 cycle they can change throughout a woman's lifetime so it's very difficult to actually pinpoint hang on am I experiencing a premenstrual symptom or is this just some random symptom mm. or is this just something that you know I don't need to worry about and that's where a lot of the confusion comes from as well in terms of this topic. So, you know, feel free to ask questions as we go along and, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll debunk a lot of the myths that are out there mm, in terms yeah. of PMS. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing all that, Gabby. And, you know, you've really just summarized everything into a nutshell that we're really going to be talking about. But I really wanted to comment on something that you um, sort of brought up there about the infertility and the miscarriages and just the stigma that is surrounded mm -hmm. with that. And like from my experience when I was working as a midwife, that was something that really opened up my eyes mm -hmm. was um, just how common it is because yeah. throughout school and throughout our teens and early 20s, we spend our life trying to not get pregnant and doing everything mm -hmm. in our beans to, you know, make sure that we can have fun and use contraception and make sure we can get away with it. And then there comes this time where it's like this intermission transition period where it's like, hey, I need to start thinking about this sort of stuff and becoming a bit more curious about contraception and our body and reproductive health and all those sorts of things. But when I was working as a midwife in midwifery land, we use um, P, P and zero, P and G, sorry, para one grava. And this sort of um, explains the pregnancies to um, actual births. And when we summarize it, someone might be a P6 G1. And this means that they've had six pregnancies and one, and one birth, baby. one baby from it. Wow. And I was really surprised. I'm like para 14 G2. You know, oh like or para yeah. six G three minus one, you know, like all mm. these sorts of things. And I was like, whoa, like, is it hard to get pregnant? Is this like common? Mm. A miscarriage is normal. Um, and then mm. even working as like a coach with a lot of women, you know, I'm surprised because obviously we collect medical history and we, you know, we we open like have open dialogue and you know, these experiences are very not normal, but common. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important yeah. to be able to have those discussions to get rid of the stigma and the shame that's firstly surrounded with um, this, um, this problem or this issue that a lot of women run, run into. But then also like 
go back and be like, what are the PMS styled symptoms? What are the warning signs? What's the things that we can start looking out for to optimize, you know, our, our chances of getting pregnant later in life. And I think Danny, we might be at this transition phase where we are being like, let's start looking at our, you know, our hormonal health and like our ovulation and our periods and make sure all this stuff's normal so that when it does come time, it's not like a five-year process and having to go through IVF and all those sorts of things to get to a place. Um, But I would really love to open the floor first with going right back to PMS and what that is and like just a bit of a definition for our audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've spoken about so many things there that are so vital for us to touch upon. And, you know, this understanding about symptoms is something that we're going to definitely dive dive deep into. And I will definitely start with PMS, but I do want to say one thing before I do, because I feel that this is the one completely unexplored and incredibly important piece of the fertility equation that ultimately we really want to take into account. Fertility is a team sport Mm -hmm. and women get all the rap, right? We get all of the challenge and, and, uh, well, accolades, if there are any, to getting a melon-looking thing out of your vagina. But, you know, the reality (laughs) is... The reality is that that happens because of two people. And so when it comes to fertility specifically, we need to take into account that it is not going to happen. Miscarriage or the ability to take home a healthy baby by one person, right? Mm. And that is a crucial piece of key information that people need to take away. 50% of the reason as to why miscarriages happen, happen because of sperm and male factors. So I want us to make sure that we touch on this later on, because this is such a crucial piece that gets completely taken out of context and is not given the attention that it requires. So I just wanted to say that. But um, No, that's really important. And 50% is a massive amount. So thank you so much for actually sharing that. Because us as women, we want to take ownership of everything and be in control, but 50-50, 50-50, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, those those power of 14, you know, gravid 2, we're talking about the fact that there's lots of sperm parameters and issues that didn't get addressed throughout that whole equation and not just one side of the equation. And that's really why couples who experience infertility and miscarriage often go around in circles for so long mm. and many run out of time completely to have a baby because... Essentially, this is what's going on, right? Only one side of the equation is being taken into account. Mm. But the women's cycle is decidedly much more complex than the male cycle and, you know, in terms of fertility. And with women, I mean, we start our menarche, which, you know, is obviously the first time that you're going to have a a period. Some women start as early as nine years of age. I mean, (laughs) I can't possibly imagine what having a period at nine would be like, but I did have, I did start having periods at 11. So, you know, it's one of those things that you grow up, it's almost like you're forced to grow up really quickly because all of a sudden it's what Sherelle touched on it's like now you are a woman now you can get pregnant and now the only thing society and culturally you're going to be told is that you better prevent pregnancy Mm. and so we go on this whole journey psychologically emotionally mentally physically of suppressing what our bodies naturally do right which is essentially our bodies cycle 
And, you know, the 1970s brought us many wonderful things, including the oral contraceptive, contraceptive pill. But let's be honest, I think, in my opinion, honestly, it's one of the worst possible inventions when it comes to women's health and a woman's ability to really understand her body and what her body requires. And we can touch more on that later on. But one of the things that the pill does is essentially flatline your hormones. It's basically is meant to prevent, pretend that your body's pregnant so that it's not actually doing the things that it would normally do hormonally throughout the cycle. And mm. I mean, that in itself can bring lots of symptoms. But the biggest thing that I find that is hugely problematic is that it stops the body from doing what it does normally. So that whole biofeedback loop that you get from pituitary to you know, hypothalamus to ovaries gets almost kind of like it's halted. And it's halted indefinitely, depending on how long a woman is is uh, on the pill for. And whether you, you know, take the sugar pills and or have a bleed or not, what's going to happen is that your body is not actually doing what it does naturally. The only reason you have a bleed during the pill is because you've actually stopped taking some of those hormones and your body is literally just having a bleed. That's not a period. Mm. So I think that that's something that's really important to take into consideration when it comes to premenstrual syndrome, you know, there are many different pieces that can go into the experience of PMS from physical, emotional, and even behavioral, you know, there's definitely differences that occur in the follicular phase, which is the first half of the cycle prior to ovulation and the luteal phase, the things that happen you know, in the second half of the cycle after ovulation has happened and just before a period. Now, the really interesting thing about what is common and what's normal and what's natural for people to experience during that uh, process is that it varies between women. There is no one woman who experienced exactly the same symptoms in exactly the same cadence, in exactly the same intensity, in exactly the same spectrum from one woman to another or even groups of women you have correlations of like you know what happens to the average of women but you know some women their natural and their normal is a 30-day cycle for another woman it might be a 28-day cycle for another woman it might be a longer cycle for some women they have what they think is irregular cycles I mean I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome when I was 18 and my cycles to what I had been told and what I had been taught were irregular. When I started actually charting my cycles, I realized that they were incredibly regular. They were just outside of the normal mm. level of regularity. My ovulation was always happening around day 30 to 33, which essentially meant that I had a 45 or so day cycle. In fact, this is a really interesting piece of information that most people need to understand is that typically... The second half of the cycle, the luteal phase, is typically, and not always, but typically static. So it typically lasts about 14 days. When you have an irregular or a lengthened cycle, the piece that changes is the first half of the cycle, mm. okay, which is your follicular phase. And so the, the symptoms that you experience in your follicular phase are usually different to your luteal phase. You know, your luteal phase, and even if you think about it, when you're, when you're coming off a period, I mean, everyone is a little bit more sluggish coming off a period. You're kind of like, 
in general, in terms of your moods and emotions and how you feel, you feel a little bit bloated, you might feel, you know, there's, there's different types of symptoms. And again, to understand what your symptomology is, the best way is to chart your cycle. You guys know that I'm like a machine oh, yeah. when it comes to getting women to chart their cycles. Well, our listeners <laughs> don't don't actually know. Well, well, I'd just love to stop you there just quickly on that topic. Um, when we were talking in episode 26, that's when I reached out to you to help me with my cycle because, you know, Sherelle and I came off contraception at similar times. Sherelle sort of bounced back really well. Mine took about 18 months with the help of, you know, talking to you every month and your supplementation and teaching me how to chart my cycle. And so now, I am regular thanks to you. So I just want to, you know, thank you and say, look, it sometimes you do need to get help. But I thought I was never going to have my period ever again. But you know your shit. And that's why we've got you on here again. You're diligent with um, charting cycles, you know, lifestyle interventions and all of that, that we'll get in on. But yeah, you're the one who really helped me regulate my cycle. So thank you. Um, yeah, my, my absolute pleasure. And this is the thing I'm so passionate about in terms of helping women understand is that their bodies know what to do. You see, it's just that sometimes we want to intervene, but we don't know what we're intervening on. You know, I talk yes. about this to couples all the time who are experiencing infertility. And I say this, when was the last time that you fixed the problem you didn't know you have? Simple. Mm. Right. It's like if you actually understand what the issue that you're dealing with is, you're much more likely to place some kind of intervention that's going to support getting the result that you ideally hope for. But if you are just like throwing darts, with, like, you know, imagine that's what it can feel like. Mm. Exactly. So to pin, it's pin the tail on the donkey, right? It's mm, a blindfold, mm. it's being spun around. Now, okay, I've got a thing that I'm holding. Where do I go? I don't even mm-hmm. know where the bull is, let alone where the poster with the donkey is. <laughs> so this is what often many, many people, when they're trying to address concerns, health concerns, physical concerns, emotional concerns, they go about it very haphazardly. You know, they go about it in a way that is, it lacks complete methodology and system and process. And whenever you are going to do that, you are going to have a situation where you're trialing and erroring. Now, sometimes you might get lucky and you might trial and error quickly and you might be able to actually find something that works or that reduces the impact that you're feeling. But the problem with that is that it's when it's a fluke, it's not reproducible. Yeah. And that is the biggest issue. If you implement a strategy or an intervention and luckily it works and you don't know why, because one, you don't know exactly what you were dealing with and whatever it is that you did, you know, maybe it had some kind of side effect and that's why it happened. Next time that you do it, you're not going to experience the same effect. And so you're going to think, but hang on a second, last time that I did this, uh, this is what happened. And you keep on this process of trying to bang your head against the wall and figure out, okay, well, what am I actually dealing with? Because eventually you feel like, okay, it's like those people, you know, who they eat really well, they exercise, they track their macros or do whatever it is that they want to do because they have a goal, right? And then they go off tangent and they start to do things that, you know, they, they probably shouldn't be doing or they should be doing differently or whatever else. And then it gets very confusing as to, okay, what's working and why is this happening in this way? Yeah. And if there is no systematic process, you can never answer that question, right? And I, I advocate for people being scientists of, the, of their own body mm. because unless you really collect data, 
collect information, understand what's going on. Sometimes you have to collect data for years, you know, for long periods of time for you to be able to actually understand what your body is actually doing. But on the topic of, of understanding PMS symptoms and how far on the spectrum they are, there's a couple of recommendations that I have that I think makes a huge difference in setting up the foundation to understanding what it is that your body's experiencing and is what you're experiencing normal? Is it common? Is it what I should expect for myself? And is it improving or is it worsening? Because this is the other thing too. Think about it. Do you remember what you had for, I want to know right now, what you had for dinner on the 28th of October, which is the date today, 2019. Oh, fuck no. Tell me I now. can check my fitness pal. Yeah. I mean, I my fitness pal, we logged pal. it. <laughs> <laughs> See, you can check it because you logged it. So you could yeah. actually go and find me that information yeah. because you track that data. Mm. Most people will have no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good and point. the same applies. And the same applies to why their skin's breaking out. Right? Mm. They might have had experienced the breakout today. And it happens that it happens every two or three weeks. And they don't know that because they essentially, you know, they might be using a different cream. Yeah. And they go, oh, it's because of the cream I'm using. And so they go and spend money on buying a different cream. Mm. Then they go and spend that cream. And then, you know, it, it works for a little while. And then it starts to give them a breakout again. And then they go mm. and change the cream again. And they go and use another cream. And then if they actually chart their cycles and see when the breakouts are actually happening, they will be able to see that they're happening exactly around the same time. So they yeah. spent three lots worth of cream money mm, yeah. <laughs> for, no, for no very good reason because yep. it wasn't the cream to begin with. It was actually the fact that their hormones were doing what they were doing and that what needed to happen was a, a, a physical intervention to yeah. be able to address that. So the first thing that I recommend is that women get really clear about what their signs and symptoms are and what their bodies are actually doing. Yeah. There are so many different apps out these days. You know, there's natural cycles, there's flow, there's fertility fringe, there's you know a, a variety of them. What you're going to use is going to depend on what's going to be easiest mm. for you. And or if you have someone treating you, they might have a, re a request because they want to be able to see your data or whatever. But the reality is that pick something and go with it. Yes. And then in the same way that you would pick, you know, like if you want to use MyFitnessPower, there's a hundred different apps to track macros, right? So you pick whatever it is that you're going to use and whatever it is mm. that you're going to use, you just be consistent with that one thing. Yeah. And every single day, this is the kind of information that you can't, you can't imagine that you're going to be able to rely on recall. Mm. Recall is the worst possible form of data there is. When it happens, you track it. When yeah. you like, you know, if you can plan it, even better. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't plan for symptoms because you don't know when they're going to occur. But ultimately, what you want to be doing is you want to actually be able to, whatever app you use, you want to be able to put the information down of what your symptoms are. And then you want to be able to use a scale. I like a one to five scale because it's just easy, right? But it gives you an idea of spectrum. It gives you an idea of improvement or worsening of a condition. And when you have that, you can actually really properly be able to tell yourself, yes, this is actually worse because I have 10 breakouts instead of five. Mm. Rather than, oh, I've got a pimple. Oh, my God, everything is getting worse again. Mm. 
Can you see it's very different levels and subtleties of information, but by having that information, by gathering that data, all of a sudden you don't have to be stressed and anxious about whether this is normal or whether it's getting better or worse. And most importantly, you can be absolutely realistic about what's happening, right? Because if you have one pimple versus 25 It's a very big difference in that spectrum, right? And if you normally and regularly get 25, well, okay, that's a five in the scale. Mm -hmm. One is the best that it's ever been, five or it normally is, five is the worst that it could possibly be. And then you kind of start to find a gauge and you find a range within that. Because you see, there's a difference as well between PMS and a much more severe form of PMS, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, that's PMDD. Now, that is a extreme version of PMS, where mm. you might have real psychological issues and concerns and, you know, depression. Like, it, it's a very different conversation to PMS. Absolutely. Uh, premenstrual symptoms that you might kind of find that, okay, for you, my lack of, you know, like let's say for example, and I and I and I, you know, I say this slightly, but it's not a light conversation. With women with PMDD, they feel like slitting their wrists mm. at certain types of the cycle. It's not a joke. It's not mm. something that they kind of feel like, oh, I, I feel like I'm, I want to, I want to die, or I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm going to die. Whatever it is that women say when they're feeling a little bit dramatic, even I do it. It's probably not the best way of expressing <laughs> myself, but you know, it's like when I'm at the gym and my hack squat going. Kill me. Exactly. Just please kill me now, whatever (laughs) whatever it is that you're gonna do. Um, but I'm being dramatic, Mm, right? mm. Like I could it's probably an exertion of an eight out of ten. It's not a 25 out of 10. Yeah. Women with PMDD, and again, that spectrum that we talk about, everything is at a five out of you know, five. Mm. And so every symptom, and and for some women, the symptom of PMS might be a skin rash. For another woman, it might be severe edema, severe, like, you know, fluid retention. Mm. For another woman, it might be severe bloating. You know, I've heard you, Cheryl, talk in the past about feeling really bloated around mm. your cycle. Some, you know, like you, you can times that by 10 for some women. Yeah. Like they will literally put on five kilos on the scale, right? Mm. And so what happens is that we really need to understand what is the severity here? Mm. What is the severity for you? And what's the severity on a grander scale? Because then we start to get a grasp on what is common, what's normal. And mind you, just because, you know, like if you have any kind of symptom that's different from your usual, there is a change. And in that change, if there is an increase in the spectrum of one to five, then you know that, okay, as much as you want to call that thing normal, it ain't normal. Yeah. It's a change. It's a change to your usual state. Mm. But understanding yourself in that regard is going to require being a detective, you know, being a scientist of your own body, Mm. really gathering the data so that I can ask you, what did you have for dinner on the 28th of the 10th of 2019? And you can go back and you can gather that information. You know, before I started, because of having PCOS, before I started planning to conceive, I actually started charting my cycles and doing all of these things like five years before I even wanted to have a baby. Mm. Yeah. Because then I could actually understand there was no pressure, there was no anxiety, there was no stress around. I now need to understand what my body's doing. 
you know, it's like, okay, I've, I've planned and prepared myself so much so that when it, and I started taking my own herbal medicines and, and literally doing the, the treatment that I recommend for my patients. And so when I actually tried to conceive, when we had a conception attempt, I conceived first, first go. Mm. My first try with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, polycystic ovarian syndrome is the number one cause of infertility in women of a reproductive age. It's not common for that to happen. But the reason that it happened for me is because I knew exactly what was going on. So understanding your signs, understanding your symptoms, understanding the severity of your symptoms, all of those pieces Mm. is going to help to gather information about, okay, what do I now do next Mm. to help myself? Brilliant. And one of the main, like I just wanted to highlight, one of the main I um, like issues with improving your health that I think people run into is that it's like a long process. And like the period that you get now is like from the egg, you know, three months ago. And yeah. it's really important to collect that data because like you said, can't remember a month ago, you're going to remember three months ago what you did. It's not necessarily what you've just done leading up to that cycle as well. And I think um, like just to highlight, I guess, some of the main PMS symptoms that a lot of women sort of do express concerns with are like that fluid retention that you were talking about, fluctuations in in, um, body fluid and weight, as well as like acne um, breakouts during that time, Um, like severe cravings. A lot of women do have drops in mood. um, And like you said, in more severe cases, depression and suicidal Mm. thoughts as well. Mm. Gut issues like um, insomnia, which is something that I get, fortunately, um, eczema breakouts breakouts, skin conditions. So there's so many things that come under that bracket. And as you said, it's, it's complex, but it's important to know for you to track that data to see, is this correlated with my cycle or is it spring and I'm just getting hay fever? You know, Mm, because once mm. you can correlate it with an external factor, then you can start putting interventions in place. Mm. Um, And like we'll touch on, like getting into some key takeaways with some PMS styled symptoms, it's not like a quick fix. It's not like, oh, we'll remove your dairy and your skin will improve, you know, instantly. It's like, although it can be, or it can be, maybe (laughs) it can be. But I think as well, like it's important to know that. It's a long, it process, a long process and you've got to yeah. track it to know it, right? Like yeah. you just yeah. use a new yeah. face scrub, who actually yeah. knows? So you I would love to. to get into like some of the common things that um, you see, Gab, and then maybe some takeaways to help with like some of those symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, you know, like all of the things that you said, absolutely correct. And and the thing about it too is that sometimes there will be obscure symptoms that this is why I say track because there will be obscure symptoms that happen for a person that don't happen for, you know, a whole group of people. And so that's going to be really important to understand. One thing I do want to highlight and, and to, to comment on, because this applies not only to the importance of how long you treat something in terms of PMS and in terms of women's health, but in terms of fertility as well. And those two things, obviously, at some point, they will be correlated. What happens is that fertility at look, every four months, every four months, every single red blood cell in your body is brand new. So the body regenerates and recreates itself and our cells in, in years, like, you know, even brain cells regenerate and recreate. So what happens is that Over a person's lifetime, we are a new version of ourselves so many times over, right? And what happens with follicular genesis, which is the formation and maturation of the egg, is that the egg that we ovulate today 
actually began recruitment 12 months ago. So there are two major points and periods of egg development. And this is going to be important because it also plays a role in terms of PMS and PMS symptoms. So what happens is women at this day and age, the conversation that we're having is this, in 20 years from now, that might be a different conversation. I have a, fe a feeling that with stem cell research, we're probably not going to have the same uh, situation or reality that we have now in terms of fertility and, and women's fertility in particular, because we know that women's fertility is finite. Mm -hmm. Male fertility also declines with age, but women's certainly will be halted mm -hmm. after a period of time. And so what happens is that we women at this point, again, 2021, uh, is bo we're born with all the eggs we'll ever have. Okay, but again, stem cell research might change that in the future. But at this point, we are born with all the eggs we'll ever have. So your eggs in yourself right now, in fact, you were in your grandmother's womb. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you were in your grandmother's womb because the egg that your mother had in her uterus when she was being gestated by your grandmother was already there. That's so, so cool. Every, every single one of us, can you see that generational effect, mm. generational impact of emotions, of epigenetics, of mm. various factors? We are a conglomerate of every one of our experiences and our ancestors' experiences as well. Right. So there's lots of incredible research now on not only the physical impacts of our previous generations, but the emotional impact and how trauma also passes on and so on and so forth. But what's interesting in this conversation, and I think that this is the thing that we need to be aware of in terms of the context of our conversation today, is that we need to give it time. We need to give our bodies time. We need to ensure that we understand that it takes at least a year for the egg to mature. Therefore, you're not going to experience change in terms of your body just, you know, next month. Mm. You're not going to start. It's like, you know, if you have 20 kilos to lose, you're not going to do that in a week. You're not going to do that in a month. It's going to take time. It's going to be a process. And so the egg specifically goes through two major three maturation times primordial follicle to primary follicle takes about five months primary follicle to secondary follicle takes another four months or so then you enter the cycle which you're going to ovulation so basically you know that whole there's a couple of months in there that you know it's depending on the person how it takes how long something takes is a piece of string right mm. so there is a little bit of variation that occurs there and then you enter the cycle that you're going to ovulate now at each one of those major injunctions you have the opportunity and you have the ability to influence what is happening, what that egg is surrounded by, what those what the hormonal balance is happening in your body, how that is going to play out. Because not only does the egg have an impact on your hormonal balance, your hormonal balance has an impact on the egg. Mm. So it's this kind of, you know, it's this dance that goes on. And so we need to then understand that every single thing that you do is going to impact your physiology, your biochemistry, your body but your physiology or biochemistry in your body is also going to have an impact on how you externalize that, right? So it's kind of like it's that dance that happens on a micro level and on a macro level. Mm. So 
In terms of looking at what are some of the things that you can do, you know, some of the symptoms, I mean, the symptoms, as we've said, I think Sherelle gave a great summary of what I had already talked about, so we don't need to go over that. But what we do need to go over is that you need to understand what's common for you. Because some women will have... (laughs) I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday and I, and she said, you know, oh, I don't get chocolate cravings before, before my period. I said, I only get chocolate cravings 30 days before my period. And she goes, uh, mathematically, I don't think that works out. I said, no, I'm just giving it a couple of extra days. In yeah. The- <laughs> to kind of give it a Better bit of variation. Better to be safe than sorry. And that's it. That's exactly right. <laughs> But you see, the thing is, I have a bit of a thing for a chocolate, right? I love yeah. chocolate. It's just that's my thing. So yeah. is that really chocolate craving or is it just that I like chocolate? Mm-hmm. So understanding the distinction and disentangling those things as well is really important. So, yeah. Shira, you were going to say? I was just, I was just going to say, I think that people just overcomplicate shit on the internet too. They're like, okay, like I know that I like to talk about women's health, but I've made diagrams to give people general ideas of what's going on. But it's like on day 24 of your cycle, you must do this, this, and this, and you must pull back. And it's sometimes, and we've talked about this, Danny, of like, don't talk yourself out of shit. And like, Mm. you can just crave chocolate because you like chocolate. Like it doesn't 100%. Mean you're deficient in magnesium. Like it doesn't mean yeah. all these things that the internet might tell you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's all good and well exactly. to track, but then you don't want to become too meticulous and boxed in because mm. as you said earlier, Gabrielle, and by our own experiences with our bodies, like there are so many outside factors that can affect how you're feeling that month. Like we've talked about Sherelle, how heightened stress, like you had some yeah. eczema, I had migraines, like there were there are so many other factors that will yeah. um, um, you know, lead to what you're feeling that month. So that's why it's important to track, but then don't almost preempt it as well. It's and like- this is what I was going to say, because you see, here's the thing, and this is, and I get really annoyed about these apps that literally, you know, they sent you this little notification to say, you should be feeling more emotional today. I'm like, you know what? Oh, Why God. Tell me how I should be feeling. <laughs> Fuck off. Right? Because I'm you emotional. I tell you how I should be feeling. Let I think they got you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, let me tell you how I'm feeling. I'm feeling that this is inappropriate because you are now priming me. Oh, no, honestly, I was like, the first time I saw it, I was like, what the? Like, you know, what? Like, they got you. you come and tell me? I was literally going, I was going to write to them and say, I feel it's inappropriate for your app to want to prime me at yep. any, any particular time of my cycle as to how I should be feeling or yeah. how I should feel or how I will be feeling. Yeah. Like, this is inappropriate, right? <laughs> so don't use those apps. <laughs> or turn off, turn turn off that the notification. Off. Yep. Because you see, the thing is, just because somebody tells you that you should have this or that you should have that, Mm. What does your body tell you that yeah. it does? What does your body tell you that it does? Mm. And then let's have a conversation about, okay, how does that feel for you? Because you see, it might be perfectly acceptable to you that, you know, you feel more tired prior to having a period and you just want to have a nap. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's, a, it's my awesome. excuse yeah. for going and having a nap. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is great. You know, <laughs> like I feel tired today. It's two days before my cycle. This is normal for me. Yeah. I'm just going to go and have a nap. Yeah. yeah. Right? So this is the thing. Like I think that also we need to be compassionate with ourselves mm. and understanding that there are days that you might just want to have a nap. Go for yeah. it. 
Yeah. Mm, or nice. you might feel amazing. Yeah. There's or even- you might feel amazing. Exactly. Mm. I mean, hey, does, and this is actually one of the things that I, I really want to say about this, because this is one of the reasons as to why I think the pill is the worst invention ever. <sighs> now, who does not love the feeling prior to ovulation, where you feel you're most energized, where you oh, feel yeah. the most in your body, mm. where you feel the most sexy, ladies. And not only that, you just have that absolute burst of energy mm. that you don't get mm-hmm. if you are on the pill being flatlined with all of your hormones. So yeah, I think that, that experience of the variation that happens in a cycle mm. and embodying that and mm feeling that and knowing that it's just such a beautiful experience like you know many people complain about having their periods and having the cycles the truth is that if you don't like having your period because you have cramps because you have pain because you have and many women do you know sometimes there are women who because of endometriosis or Mm. other reasons literally are on the ground on Mm. the fetal position in the cycle but you can see that that is an extreme variation that is a number five on any scale Mm. and probably you know over five which means that that requires treatment Mm. yeah that requires addressing and proper intervention Mm. but for the most part you know like women might have a little bit of cramping and a little bit of this a little bit of that but again that's not normal Right. And so understanding one, why it's happening and then how to deal with it is extremely important. Like I'm Mm. a person because I take care of my body, I take care of my health. I know the things that I need to do and implement. I do not experience period pain. In fact, Mm. I experience very few symptoms, like only my 30 days of chocolate cravings. So, (laughs) Damn, what a symptom. That sucks. That's that's it. That's my my only problem. Um, But but it's true. And for my Mm. whole life, it's been this way, Mm. right? And it's because, again, one, I know what I'm looking out for. Two, I know Mm. how to address it. And this is the thing that I want to bring to women everywhere, Honestly, it's that understanding that your body is incredible and it's able to balance itself if it if it's given the opportunity, if it's given mm-hmm. the uh, you know the kind of the environment to do so. Yep. You do not have to experience premenstrual symptoms. You do not have to experience physical, emotional, psychological symptoms mm-hmm. associated with your mm-hmm. hormones. If that's happening, you need to get that clarity so that you can address it. And there are many ways of doing that. Many, many, many ways. Which, by the way does not include going on the pill yeah. because the pill is no treatment. It is yep. literally just a band-aid that yep. stops your body from doing what it normally does. And as a result of that, you know, of course you're not going to experience mm. those same symptoms. You're probably going to experience worse symptoms. Mm. But that's a whole nother conversation. Mm. You know, Tune back about- into episode 26, everyone. We really delved in on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so it's about really kind of figuring out, okay, what is it that I need to do mm. now to support my body and give it the environment that it needs? Yeah, and yeah. then you start to, this is then the time once you mm. have data, when you have information, when you know what your body does, then it's time to actually start intervention. How? Mm. I'd in, love to give and, some of the steps. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. And there are lots of different things. And today, obviously, in the, in the podcast, there's only limited amount of things that I can say that people can actually try and do. Of I will do my absolute very best in terms of giving you very specific and effective things that people can do. But, you know, sometimes you do require you need to see a practitioner, mm. you need to see a clinician that's going to actually assess you, 
look at the whole picture and go, okay, this is what you actually need to do for you in a customized fashion, not in some kind of like, you know, here, everybody that has PMS gets a box of tissues, you know, like... Tissues and chocolate. So what yes. kind of practitioner? Obviously, I went to you, but because I was very lucky. And before people start running into your DMs, what kind of practitioner can someone see? Yeah, look, there are there are lots of different types of, of practitioners out there that support this. And I think that this is the key thing. There is not going to be a one-size-fits-all for every person. And so it's about looking at the person's proven track record. Whoever it is that you're going to see, know that they actually deliver on the thing that they say they deliver. Mm. Because you can go and see a naturopath, you can go and see a TCM practitioner, you can go and see an acupuncturist, you can go and see a reflexologist and a psychic. Like, you know, like people do all sorts of interesting things, right, in terms of their own health. And that's, I'm not here to judge anybody, but... What I will say is that whoever it is that you choose to go and see, that you choose knowing that that person actually has a proven track record in solving that problem. Mm. That's as far as, you know, I think that we need to, to guide people in that direction. Because, And mind you, since our conversations, Danny, you know, next year is something that I'm looking at bringing is actually a women's health program because cool. I think that it's so needed and you know, we've talked about this many times before. But I think that, you know, for, for somebody to actually find, okay, sitting where I am, what is the easiest as well, right? Because sometimes, like Cheryl said, we overcomplicate things. We think that we need this, you know, kind of special mango that grows in these, <laughs> you know, parts of the world that we can't even access. And then we get really anxious and stressed about the fact that, you know, we can't get this special kind of mango that grows in this, you know, fabulous in unicorn tree. land. Exactly. Right. And so I think that if we know, know what it is that we're looking for, if we know what it is that we're trying to achieve and we look at standing where I am right now, what is my next step? What is the next thing that I can do? Start there. Because for a lot of people, I'll tell you what, for the vast majority of women, you clean up your diet. So reduce inflammatory foods, mm. reduce junk foods, base your meals on vegetables and protein, good quality protein, organic wherever possible. You know, and I talk about, to my patients, I talk about this concept of no more than three steps from field to plate. So what does that mean? When you actually look at a food in the field, you want to be able to recognize it on your plate. So let's pick corn, for example, because corn is a good, a good example of this. When you get a corn cob from the supermarket, it looks like that in the field. Mm. Like you know that that thing, you can have it on your plate, you've cooked it mm. perhaps, but you know that in the field it looks exactly that same way. Mm. So that is one step from field to plate. You then get that corn cob, you've cooked it, you've taken the kernels off and you've put it through a salad. That's two steps from field to plate because you can still recognize that food, but it's not exactly how it is that it was when it was in the field. Mm -hmm. So that's your second step. You then take that corn and you cut the kernels off and you might cream it and you've got cream corn. That's three steps from field to plate. That's cool. And that, yeah. <laughs> I like and that. that. <laughs> that is where I would end that process mm. in terms of food. Mm. Because from there, what happens? Well, you've got your cream corn. Let's say you want to make tortilla chips. That's actually, in fact, you've got your cream corn, you want to make polenta. 
you've had to dehydrate that corn, you've had to process it and mill it and create it into something else. You're going to then need to add water to it mm. to be able to create it into something. You want to then create tortilla chips. You're going to go through that entire process. You're going to mix a whole lot of things to it. Then you're actually going to put it into some deep fryer typically, mm. right, in order to be able to. So that's four or five, six, ten. Twisties is like it's made out of corn apparently right <laughs> but literally you look at that thing can you recognize yeah. that thing in the field there ain't no way first of all it comes in a plastic you know a plastic bag mm. that you can't even you know that claims that it's good for you because it's 99 whatever right? <laughs> God. food free because it really i mean the fact that you can't recognize it tells me that there's something not quite right with it so that's one of the things that I guarantee you, and this is part of the, the Rosa Fertility mm. Diet, it's like I guarantee if you use three steps from field to plate, you are going to reduce the amount of toxins in your food, of additives in your food, colorings, flavorings, mm. preservatives, to a huge extent. You're going to yeah. reduce the amount of inflammatory components within your food and endocrine disruptors. Mm. present in your food because a lot of these food components are endocrine disruptors which will imbalance your hormones yeah so make no mistake about it you know when it comes nutritional epidemiology is an actual field of research where it's it's Mm. incredible and so complicated and 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 intricate Mm. but in nutritional epidemiology and i have had the incredible privilege of literally some of my professors at harvard are the forefront pioneers of nutritional epidemiology and how to actually research the exposure, food as the exposure associated to the disease. And a lot of the correlations that are now that we take for granted, you know, like trans fats causing heart disease, trans fats causing infertility, um, high sugary drinks causing infertility. A lot of these Mm. uh, correlations have been found as a result of research that is done at the Department of Nutrition at Harvard Mm. by these incredible people who literally spend their entire life doing it. So when you actually look at an association like that, you're looking at thousands of people and you've got to do this in an observational way because you can't randomize people to having a certain particular type of diet, certainly not in the long term. And so to be able to actually tease out these associations in a way that actually Mm -hmm. is generalizable to the real world is a skill. It's an absolute, you know, art and science. And here's the important piece is that because we know that, because we know those pieces, I can stand here and say to you that 100% your diet, i.e. your exposure, will be a determinant of disease. Mm. Whatever it is that you do in terms of your food will have an effect. Food has no, it, There is no chance that food has a neutral effect on your system. Mm. It's either going to enhance your body or it's going to Mm. undermine it in some way. So when we talk in general terms, how do you improve PMS? How do you improve PMS symptoms? Clean up your diet. Mm. Number one place, number one way. So I'm just going to make point that you still said that you still eat chocolate though. I I do. So what would cleaning up be? You mentioned the... Yeah, you mentioned packaged foods, but then earlier we had that dairy discussion and I want to bring up dairy and gluten. What's your stance on those? Yes, absolutely. And look, here's the the one bracket that I will open. 10% for the soul, right? We inbuild 
In oh, I say 20. Jeez, 10 to the <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a little bit hardcore. 15. Fifteen. I'm a little bit hardcore when it comes to yeah. this because, you know, like I'm talking, you know, I'm treating typically, I'm treating people yeah. who yeah. literally have issues. Yeah. Right? yeah. So this is not your kind of normal kind of mm. general population yeah. where they can see looking at each other yeah. on a drunken night. <laughs> it's like, you know, because really mm. the, the majority mm. of people get pregnant without trying. Yeah. That's why you have all of these. The people who come to me, they don't get pregnant without trying. So yeah. we have to try. You know, so we yeah, have to, takes intervention. We have to intervene, yeah. exactly. Mm. We have to intervene with those people. Yeah. So that's why 10% for the soul. So in 21 meals in the week where two meals you're having whatever it is that you yeah. want. And mind you, for some of my patients, that will depend. Dairy and gluten is something that I absolutely recommend people avoid altogether in terms of their fertility diet. Mm. Certainly, if you are having symptoms, if you are having premenstrual symptoms, PMDD, whatever it is that's going on, inflammatory symptoms, depression, anxiety, and so on, you may also want to consider this particular way of of eating because it reduces inflammation overall. Mm. The reality is, though, as I said before, for my patients, we're intervening. And so really, dairy and gluten, which are highly inflammatory, and have this co- high correlation mm. with exposure and disease or uh, symptoms, it's going to be something that I will often recommend that they don't have. Yeah. If they are celiac, for example, gluten intolerance, right, where it's an autoimmune it's an condition. If it's, it's an autoimmune condition that is related to an allergy. Um, basically, what will happen is that they cannot have gluten at all. So it's not like, you know, a preference where you might be gluten sensitive and when you have gluten, you have symptoms and you prefer to avoid it because, you know, that makes you feel better. In celiac disease, it's kind of like you have gluten, it's your bowel is going to eat itself. Mm-hmm. Right? Your immune system is going to eat your bowel kind of thing. Yeah. So it becomes a situation and, and celiac disease and infertility have been very well linked in the research and, and miscarriage as well. So we know that it's absolutely, and for a lot of people, the people that I treat, this happens on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So these sensitivities become intolerances, which become problematic. Mm -hmm. And so if we know that that's a simple, easy intervention that we can put in that's going to support everything else we're doing, then why not? But for those people where it's an insensitive, sensitivity rather than an intolerance, then what we're doing is we're saying, okay, well, 10% for the soul applies here. So much yeah. so that when I went through my pre- own preconception, pizza <laughs> every single week. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Like I am one of those people who there are two things that I will have every week without fail, chocolate and pizza. I'm a pizza gal too. You can have your burgers. I'll definitely have a pizza. <laughs> um, something I wanted to I, add on to that, Gabby. Pizza all the way. Something <laughs> I'm really big on is just informed consent. Like obviously I've got a healthcare background, but when it comes to understanding this sort of stuff, it means that you can make that informed decision for yourself. So yeah. for me um, personally, and just like my own personal antidote is that before I get my cycle, I definitely reduce all anti, like I, yeah. I reflux inflammatory foods, gluten, dairy, I increase fats, all those sorts of things um, because I know it makes me have a good period, whatever that is, you know, yeah. throw that around, yeah. bad period, good period. Um, yeah. And I know that if I have the ice cream, I'm making an informed decision that I'm going to have the consequences, the acne yeah, breakout, yes. whatever it is, as a result. Yes, and 9. Yes. Out of, 9.5 times out of 10 for me, I'm like, it's not worth it. Mm, but yes. I have that informed decision. Whereas 
I feel like where people get lost, they just think, oh, well, we only thrive two weeks out of the month and it's all downhill from, you know, ovulation. And, you know, I don't know why I'm experiencing these sorts of things. Yeah. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm eating clean, whatever the frigging hell that means. Mm-hmm. And you touched on, um, you know, food products and food chemicals. You know, we say whole food and soul food, but there is this like, piece in there where it's like a lot of things we consume these days and not food at all um that's right they're chemicals so it's really important to be able to and like we said you don't have to eradicate everything and go full clean but it's important to know okay well how much of my day is actually made up of these chemicals Mm. and I also grew up on a farm and, you know, a bit of a funny story is like when I moved into res, one of my housemates, like the eggs that I bring back from the farm, she thought they were all off. Cause she's like, why are they so orange? So she threw them oh. all out. Oh. And I was like, what do you mean? True. Eggs are orange. And she's like, no, like they're yellow. And I just think the food that we get organically from the farm that's grown, that's fresh, it's different to also what we get in the supermarket. And I'm not mm. saying like, okay, well, you have to spend all your money on organic food and, you know, you have to, because some people just don't have that as a part of their budget as well. But knowledge is power and knowledge about knowledge means that you can make more informed decisions to help with symptoms. Absolutely. And here's one thing that's really important, especially for the people who, you know, don't want to necessarily prioritize or can't prioritize getting organic foods is understanding your clean 15 and uh, your dirty dozen in your clean 15 list. The Environmental Working Group in the U- in the US, they've put out a list of the uh, vegetables and fruits that are most likely to have very high pesticide load and endocrine disrupting chemicals as a result of their cropping. And so basically what you want to do in, in the situation where you don't necessarily either can find organic or don't want to buy organic for whatever reason in terms of your fruits and vegetables is that you Google uh, Dirty Dozen Clean 15 list and there's every year they come up with a with an updated list and it gives you really great insight as to the types of fruits and vegetables that if they are very high in the pesticide load that you want to avoid because this is the other thing too as you said Cheryl a lot of the chemicals found in our food they are chemicals they are not food and they will have an impact on our bodies as a result and peeling vegetables is not going to necessarily make it any better if they Mm. are a high load pesticide, fruit or vegetable. Mm. So, for example, um, strawberries, super high. How big are they? I literally had one the other day and I was like, this is enormous. I've eaten both of those today. That's not a word. Strawberries and grapes. They are so big, (laughs) right? I'm like, And sometimes, well, exactly. And sometimes people don't actually even wash the fruits or vegetables, which I hope that is not happening to anybody listening to this, or if it is, that it changes immediately because (laughs) that is a huge issue in terms of, again, exposure and disease, right? Because the things that you're exposed to all the time through your food, even, you know, um, bisphenols and phenol and, and phthalates and, you know, plastics, Everything is wrapped in plastics. What's going to happen? If you don't wash your fruits and vegetables, you are eating all of these plastic components that are decidedly endocrine disrupting and that are going to negatively impact your health. Can I ask your opinion? She's going to trigger you something. (laughs) Can I ask your opinion on a a few different, I guess, common food products that people might consume? Just your absolute biased opinion. (laughs) I'm excited for this. Hot seat. Oh, oh, I'm scared because you know me my ability to you know like shut things down yeah go on I've got a couple so um the first one is what's your thoughts on diet soft drinks 
This is a real question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Soft drinks in general are going to be problematic for various reasons. They come in cans, cans lined in bisphenols and phthalates, cans that are either aluminium or some other kind of metal that essentially is going to create a bioaccumulation and load in your system. Mm. No matter what, like no matter how you slice this, it's going to be detrimental to your health just from the packaging itself. Mm. Like so much so, I actually bought myself, I don't have my bottle here, but I bought myself a soda, soda stream mm, that is glass. Oh, glass. Oh, glass. It's glass. It's glass. And the reason that I did, because I went to a conference, it was a scientific conference, and the woman who was presenting, she it was an expert, a world expert on bisphenols, which are all your BPAs. You see, people think that BPA, and when it says BPA-free, it's Yeah, I'm good. like, bullshit. Um, excuse me, there's BPA, BPB, BPC, BPF, BPG. Oh like, so because it's BPA-free, <laughs> trust me, Doesn't... it's got all the other BPs mm. in yeah, there. Well, what about, what about if you buy your diet soft drink in a glass? So, so here's the thing. So I have to give context because without context, people... Yeah, I don't want to scare everyone. Person, mm. Right? She's a crazy person. I am a crazy person. Let's just, <laughs> we already knew that. Right out there. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing about it is that... It starts from where you actually hold the thing. Okay. And that's even before we start talking about what's in the thing. <laughs> Artificial sweeteners are directly linked as to endocrine disruption and infertility, directly linked to infertility. Interesting, because we've are, seen studies being put on Instagram and things that are the opposite. No, mm, I'll, cool. find some, I'll find some resources for you here. Um, because also, <laughs> no, that's good to know. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, no, absolutely. But would, like, are you better off having the sweetener or the thirty teaspoons of sugar in a Coke? Sparkling water. Yeah, All right, but, but let's just say we're, we're a night out. If you had to pick, <laughs> if you had to pick yeah. one, I would go for the sugar personally. Wow. Yeah. I, would, I would absolutely wow. not. Mm. I, I do not consume anything. And mind you, I eat chocolate. Right. Yeah love the stuff it's like my thing um but i would absolutely not consume anything with an artificial sweetener Mm -hmm. there's just no chance i i'm like a you know like what you said danny there's a lot of things on the internet being like it doesn't impact um fat loss and of course it doesn't because we know that calories are the yeah just goes right through you i remember the story about the slurp but here's the thing it doesn't it might not impact (laughs) fat loss It might not impact fat loss, but it actually does impact insulin sensitivity yeah. Yeah. and blood sugar regulation. I tested so, She tested herself at work, Sherelle did. Yes, So here's the thing. The reality is that, you know, for example, if we're talking about irregular cycles, polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm. insulin resistance, which are key components mm. and you know pro- diagnoses that are often associated with infertility you are having those those foods or drinks and you are absolutely negatively impacting your chances of having hormonal balance and hormonal yeah. regulation yeah by having those foods yeah. so yeah i mean losing weight duh sure it won't impact you know your ability because it's no calories mm-hmm. or you know l- lower calories mm-hmm. but it will absolutely impact your hormonal balance and your insulin balance so mm. you know anything that's sweet anything that's sweet to the taste is going to trigger your insulin 
basically receptors and sensors, yeah. receptors, like your cells, yeah. right? So it will, if it's sweet, even if it's, even if it's stevia, mm. it's going to have an impact on your, mm. your receptor sites. Yeah. So you need to understand that there is no free lunch mm. anywhere. Mm. Yeah, that's a good especially, way of putting it. Especially when it comes to your biochemistry. So, again, remember always exposure, disease. Yeah. Exposure, yeah, just, symptoms. Yeah. I really wanted to bring that one up because, um, yeah, I know, like, I sort of had an inkling of what your opinion would be. But <laughs> I, I like, recently, or not recently, maybe a couple of years ago, like, really went off the diet soft drinks. Mm. So I was getting addicted to them, to be honest. Like, in dieting phases, they made compliancy a lot more harder. I was having digestive yeah. issues. Um, and when I went off them, I was like, wow, I feel better. And, like, I just yeah. noticed a lot of things that's hard to find anything that's reliable but I think personal experience is really important but now I look at those diet foods as part of my 10 percent not like a reliance of like oh well I'm gonna make drink like a liter of diet coke now just to get me through it's more like oh if I'm out and I want a a treat I'll have a diet coke Mm -hmm. you know like that that might sound extreme to some people and I'm not saying like you have to do it like that but like I said the having the knowledge allows you to be able to make more informed decisions if you're in that bracket where you need to manage things as well. Yeah. And we're going to say a whole list of things, but if our listeners can just maybe minimize one or two things, you don't have to panic and be like, Oh my God. Just pick one or two things. And and if you really want to narrow it down again, from personal experience, the week leading up to my period, I'm more diligent with making those informed decisions because I mean, yeah, Mm. I've told you Gab, I'd had, debilitating migraines the past two months i've mm. stopped at this third one um and i know the halo top the night before the heavy gym training the really yes. high yes. inflammatory environment i created led to that because i tracked yeah. it so now yeah. I, I was a little bit apprehensive cut out a few things made sure i didn't change my diet yeah. too much and and have too many saturday night treats did a few things slowed down my training a little bit and inflammatory environment and then i didn't get one so yeah, you, you track and then you pick your one percenters you don't have to see you know the, the thing and and i think that you know here's the big the big takeaway of health and endocrine balance and hormonal balance progressive overload you see progressive overload works not only at the gym progressive overload means that you know you are able and capable of doing this much next time maybe just add a little yes and add a little bit more yeah and add a little bit more until one day you will look back and you go oh my god Mm. i can't believe that i don't do any of those things Mm. anymore i can't believe that that's like i've changed my whole lifestyle completely Mm-hmm. And it didn't even feel like it because I implemented the 1% changes. Mm. You know, see, 1% change, and Tony Robbins explains this beautifully. You know, he talks about this story of him in the golf course with his son and the instructor for the, this golf um, instructor basically told him that if you change the angle of the stick, whatever the stick in golf is called. Golf club. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, If you change the angle of the club by one millimetre, you can have the difference between the ball going over there to over there. And the same applies to your biochemistry, you see. And that's where sometimes that one less drink that you had this month, that Mm. one less can of whatever that you had 
this month. For some people, it works brilliantly because they are able to continue that in incremental improvement and progressive overload in terms of their ability mm. to say no or to you know mm. change or whatever. For other people, though, and this is the key thing that I also want to differentiate, you have a high desire and high need to make abrupt and major changes now. Yeah. Because either it, yeah. it got big enough. Well, this is the thing. Sometimes when the association of the pain to the exposure is big enough, you know, if you know that that oh, thing yeah. causes you to be, you know, on the floor in, mm -hmm. in the fetal position, you know, before a period, you're going to change that because there's so much pain associated with that behavior yeah. that you go, I don't even want to go there. It's like you said, Cheryl, it's not even worth it. Mm. Uh, that ice cream is not worth it. Mm. And that's what it becomes. And sometimes there is that need. You know, sometimes mm. my patients come to me because they are absolutely desperate to have a baby and they will do whatever it takes. Mm. So they have a high need for actually making changes in their life. When that is not the case, the incremental improvement and the progressive overload is the best way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And something I like to say is, you know, my, my worst day now used to be my best day a few years ago. And yeah. I, if we sat mm. down and wrote down all the habits and the behaviors, everything from drinking out of glass to like tracking your macros to getting your training. <laughs> there was in, no way we were going to have a plastic water bottle. Uh, not, today. Yes. <laughs> not today. Not again. No not way. Again. Now. Yes. Yes. Thank <laughs> you, ladies. Thank all you. All those sorts of things are mat like stacked over a long period of time. And I would never have someone um, fresh to tracking, fresh to training, fresh to anything, improving their lifestyle, come to me and me say, well, now you have the expectation of everything I do. God. Like how unrealistic and overwhelming would that oh, be? 100%. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Good point, Cheryl. Mm. It's like, you know, when you've never trained a day in your life and you go and, you know, do a Cheryl training, you're like, you might as well just die now. Right? <laughs> Sorry, like, TWS. Really? <laughs> You know, actually, I came across Sherelle, and this is a funny story. I think we, I don't know if we covered it in the last episode or not, but when I wanted to change my life and my lifestyle and change my body, I actually was looking, you know, at Fitspo on Instagram because I know how much you love. You what love, a hashtag. You, love, <laughs> you said that with a cheeky look on her face. <laughs> this is great. I indeed. My toe went far, far on my cheek. But, um, you know, the, I was looking, literally looking at people who inspired me and I came across her and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's hot. Oh my gosh, she's got a great ass. Oh my God, I want to be her. Huh? And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I was used to see like, you know, what the training and everything. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I don't know that I can do that. But now, now it's look like, at, you know, fast now forward look four years. Well, fast forward four years and it's like mm. what I've been able to do mm. because I've focused on it. And this applies really to every area of life, mm. right? I mean, I couldn't have been the person to graduate from Harvard 10 years ago. No. Like, there's no way. I wouldn't even have gotten in the door, let alone, mm. you know, be able to actually have done the thing. So who we become as a part of our experiences, our choices, our deliberate intention and the things that we choose to do in our day-to-day 
whether we're talking about PMS and symptoms of, you know, infertility or whatever it is, or whether we're talking about life in general, it's going to be determined by the choices that we make and where we continue to apply our focus. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I guess as well, like just to recap that, you know, the symptoms that you experience or your reality at the moment can be improved. It Mm. just takes, you know, reaching out to the right people, consistency, a bit of grit, having a growth mindset uh, and making change. Cause you know, if you're not willing to even focus on the one percenters, you know, then unfortunately these symptoms don't just magically resolve on their own. Yeah. The one percenters add up because I know what it feels like to be lost. And then you're like everything. I don't know where to put my energy, whatever. And obviously I had your help, but the one percenters add up and that Tony Robbins analogy, I'm going to remember that one. That was brilliant. Yeah. 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 No, it makes all the difference. And so, you know, the things that people can do, like we talked about, actually you, you were asking me about foods and my reactions to foods. Is there any other food? Oh, are we going to go down? I thought we closed that. I feel oh, like maybe one, one more. The, the other Just one the lols. I was going to ask because I've been obsessed at the moment. Smoked salmon. Is that okay? Uh, uh, cured oh, meats isn't good, right? Yeah. I went cured on Google meats. after I was in bed with a migraine. I'm like, it was the ham I ate. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, and yes, and, and that definitely will cause migraines. Cured meats in general, nitrites. They yeah. don't smoke meat like they used to. Like yeah. you can actually get a piece of salmon and you can smoke it in your barbecue and that's going to be certainly much healthier. Not, it's not healthy, but it's going to be much healthier for you than how they standard, standardly actually uh, smoke things now, which is mm. by use of chemicals. Yeah. So it's oh not God. actually smoked. Fucking yeah, it's, oh, it's, a smoke, it's a smoking flavor. <laughs> on, and so, yeah. And so really sure. I, I tell you what, um, <laughs> it is something that my husband, he is a food supplier and seafood is one of his biggest, yeah. you know, supply, like literally he I'll hit him up. tons and tons. Absolutely. He supplies tons of things. He, I can get anything on demand. It's like, you know, whatever it is that I would like from the most elaborate oyster and lobster from, you know, those Ooh. kind of unicorn places to, you know, the, like Japanese um, scallops, which are the most mm. amazing, by the way. Wow. Like anything, anything at all, I can just say bring it home and he'll bring it home. I don't touch any of it. Oh, why? None. Isn't seafood good? I love seafood. I was about to head to yours for dinner this weekend. I'm chatting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you I'll cook it for you, but uh, yeah, it's not something that I eat. And I certainly would not have smoked salmon. Mm. Like um. he gets the best of the best of the best of smoked salmon. And I'm like the cross. And the mm-hmm. devil because of this reason. <laughs> and also, I mean, look, think about it. It's, it comes covered in plastic. There's the, all of those pieces that are going to be problematic. So it's a 10% for the soul. And I would say that it's not mm. a weekly 10% for the soul. It's a 10% for the soul that you have like every month mm. or, or more. Um, but it's, you know. You asked again, for that, Cheryl. Yeah, sorry. I mean, well, I I'm sorry to be the, the better. <laughs> Empty the fridge, Luke. We're starting fresh. <laughs> oh, Luke, I, feel die. Like Luke, I feel like Luke's going to hate me already. You know, I haven't even met the Nothing's changing. He has his full cream milk with Cocoa Pops every morning and he, he loves it. You know, I, don't, I never Good change again. You know, I'm, I'm jealous. You know, sometimes when you look at people and you're like, they can just eat all the shit that they want, do all the things and have nothing. And look, that's just 
the world we live in, right? It's genetics. Yeah. It's, it's actually not, but we'll talk about that. Oh, um, we're going to get some male fertility. fertility. When when we'll that segue? We'll, we'll get to, yeah, we'll get to that. We should probably so. segue into that. So, yeah, it probably yeah, would I be think, another episode. I think that this is it because this is a thing. Like people think that, you know, men don't need to do any of these things because it's a woman who carries the baby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. All right, we're walking right into holes, aren't we? I would and, love and this it. is why I'm like, you know, Luke's doesn't, he doesn't even know me. He hasn't met me, but he will hate me already. Um, <laughs> one day, one day when I make a YouTube, I'll, I'll be like the day of eating like Sherelle and I'll make Luke. We'll swap. Actually, we won't I swap hope he likes it. oysters. Well, well, I don't yeah, know. Is that a 10% now? Oh, that's a definite 10%. <laughs> I mean, look, oh, my any, God. Any seafood is, is bottom, bottom feeders, right? So they're, they're filters of the ocean. Prawns and oysters, and I'm sorry to say this, Sherelle, because I have seen your oysters I love both. Um, in your stories, but the reality is that they are filters of the ocean. And so That's I gross. like to equate them to cockroaches of the sea. <laughs> yeah. I'm about I'm to just sorry. go order a Big Mac and say, fuck everything. <laughs> <laughs> Expensive I don't cockroaches. <laughs> you know, so like they are expensive cockroaches, absolutely. Don't Google but, you know, cockroach parts in chocolate, FYI, because that's oh, no, definitely a thing. I'm fully aware. It's like, <laughs> I think it's a, the number of parts per million is something like serious. Yeah. And given the amount that I actually consume, I eat a lot of insects. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, but the reality is that these are these are. Uh, pieces to take into consideration and I think that again it comes back to what is your goal you know what's your objective and if we focus the majority of our time on that idea of three steps from field to plate and we base our meals on vegetables and protein of course you have leeway if your thing is oysters go and have oysters you know if your thing is you know my thing is pizza like I said I'll have pizza yeah. last week so that's my thing Mm. Whatever your thing is, you will find a way of balancing that out. And mm. again, what we want is to enhance the body's ability to detoxify, to enhance the body's ability to handle these challenges as well as mm. much as possible, reducing the challenge that we give to the body, but also enabling the body to raise to the challenge mm. and yeah. to basically to rise to the challenge and to be able to um, enhance its ability to process and detoxify when needed and necessary. And we, I know that in our last episode, we talked about the whole lemon drink, you yep. know, and the whole lemon drink is something that I still stand by like it is a elixir of elixirs when it comes to hormonal balance. So anybody experiencing PMS, PMDD, the good fats in the whole lemon drink, you, just, you can just Google Gabriella Rosa whole lemon drink, you'll find the recipe everywhere mm. online. Mm. And what happens with that is that, and in fact, I'll put it on the show notes. Mm. I'll put the recipe in the show notes for you as well, the updated one, because we've updated mm. it based on our observations and we've we've made some changes. But the whole lemon drink is something that I highly recommend people have on a daily basis because even though, as you beautiful women were saying before about, you know, making adjustments two weeks before a period, that's helpful. But for some people, they have to make that adjustment for 30 days yeah. in a period. Mm. And so, you know, that is one thing that I would suggest that as an ongoing habit mm. to add the whole lemon drink to what it is that you're doing in terms of maintenance of hormonal and hormonal balance, because that will support with the anti-inflammatory components and cleansing and detoxifying of the body, getting the liver to actually be able to conjugate hormones and express, like get them out, excrete them out of the body 
in a more direct fashion because it's mm. that recycling of hormones that also creates a lot of these premenstrual symptoms. Mm. So if we can actually enhance, help the body's ability to do that, that makes a huge difference. Mm, so, right. you know, in terms of some takeaways and things that people can do, let's talk about that because that's going to be crucial in terms of uh, the, and mind you, whether we're talking about fertility, whether we're talking about hormonal balance, we're talking about the same thing for all people, cool. male and female, because yeah. it is not a situation, like I said before, 50-50 equation. It's not a situation that the woman has all of the responsibility to carry a child, to gestate a child, but and and to create the child. It's not like that. You know, there's there's basically three components that make that child be the baby that you're going to hold in your arms eventually. The three mm-hmm. components are the egg, the sperm, and the embryo itself. Mm-hmm. So the embryo becomes created by the egg and the sperm. So the best possible quality cells that you can actually bring to that building block and foundation of a baby, the better. And mm-hmm. what happens is that a lot of people need to understand the time to improve your child's health is not in pregnancy. A baby by eight weeks gestation already has all its little organs, all its little fingerprints, its health predispositions and sensitivities and whatever else is already predetermined by eight weeks gestation. What it does Mm. from that point on is it grows. And Mm. then, of course, you have your epigenetic environment. And that is what, you know, the baby is lying in, in terms of the mother and the mother's exposures in terms of food and what's on her skin, what's Mm. in her thoughts. All of these pieces will create an an impact and an imprinting in that Mm. embryo. So the reality is that when we're talking about bringing a healthy pregnancy to term, we've got to take all of those pieces into consideration. Mm -hmm. So men don't get let off the hook here because what's going to happen is that they have to provide the best possible quality sperm. You see, the egg, when it comes to fertility, the egg has a massive responsibility. And what it does, part of what fertilization means when you get the egg and the sperm together and you know the the sperm goes inside the egg it's the egg's responsibility to address and fix some of the dna fragmentation or the dna errors within the sperm so it has to use some of its own energy production and mitochondria in order to be able to address that sperm quality problem that may be incoming. Mm -hmm. If the egg doesn't have enough energy production capability because its mitochondria is compromised, because it's aging, because of, you know, environmental factors, because of nutritional deficiencies or whatever else, it's not going to be able to do that job as effectively, which means that either fertilization is going to fail there and then, and you have a pregnancy, but not a positive pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. And this is what a lot of people who suffer from infertility don't know, that they actually are conceiving. They're not keeping a pregnancy to term. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, it's also true that when you have repeated miscarriages, even though you've had a positive pregnancy test or you even know that you're pregnant, this is also linked, this is a, a diagnosis of infertility. Mm-hmm. Because taking a positive pregnancy to term is essentially how you define fertility. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, being able to so in the context of having a baby. Okay? Yeah. So basically these, these pieces and why this is important is because if the sperm is not the very best possible quality it can be with its DNA fragmentation issues resolved to the best of its ability, 
when it's incoming, the egg has to do so much more work. And if it's not able to do that, we have failed conception and we have Mm. either an inability to conceive or an inability to keep a healthy pregnancy to term, Mm. which both equate to the lack of baby that, you know, most people who want to have a baby obviously want to change. Mm. So this is why, you know, it's not enough for us to say, oh, you know, the woman has to do all of this work or Mm. when I get pregnant, I'll start doing all of the things that I need to do. I talk to my patients very differently in terms of this, and I talk about the acting pregnant now to get pregnant later, and and this applies to both. Mm -hmm. So when people say to me, oh, you know, what is it that I can do to improve my chances of having a baby when they're, they're struggling? It's very simple. Let's pretend that both men and women could have babies. Mm. I mean, we know that the world population would halve immediately if men could have <laughs> babies. But that's a whole other story for a whole other episode, right? <laughs> but you see, if both, let's pretend for a moment, and, and I want any men who's listening to this to really indulge me for a second and think about if you were pregnant right now, and I want you girls to think about this too, right? So if you were pregnant right this second, What are all the things that you would absolutely start doing or stop doing right now to give your baby the best possible start in life? So Mm -hmm. that's the important question. Now, what I want you to to come up with is tell me one thing that you would start doing or stop doing in a moment. So think about it for now. But the same thing applies to the men, right? Because the things that they they are already holding 50% of that little baby inside them mm-hmm. right now and all that's going to happen is those two cells are going to come together and that embryo is going to begin developing so can you see when it comes to fertility acting pregnant now to get pregnant later is incredibly crucial because unless mm. we do that we start to give ourselves you know more challenges than what would be ideal mm. so what what would be your one thing that you would start doing or stop doing Yeah, for me, because I'm pretty good on the supplement side of it and plastics and all of that, obviously that can be improved. But for me, the main one would be just overall stress reduction and how much I put on my plate. Yeah. Right. So that you would start doing or stop doing? I would would start um, slowing down a little bit. Okay. So here's the thing that I want to also kind of bring to everyone's attention, because this is a really important thing. People think that you know, stress causes infertility. Not true. At all? Stress, no, here's the thing. Stress, compounding stress over long periods of time will, of course, impact how your body responds to many things. But Mm. many, many people, think about war-ridden areas. Do people still get pregnant? Do people still have babies? Oh, yeah, true. Yes, they do. So the thing about it is that how is that stress being externalized? Like for me, I'm... I have always been a person who puts a million things on her plate. Mm -hmm. I have always. And I had infertility and secondary infertility as well. So I had difficulty with my second child because of PCOS. Because if I had not known that I had PCOS, by the time I actually decided that I wanted to have a baby and actually was able to start trying to have a baby, it was 19 months. If I didn't know... I decided I wanted to have a baby. I would have started trying. I would have been infertile for 19 months. Mm, But because I knew that I wasn't even having a period, let alone, you know, the ability to, like, I wasn't having uh, ovulation, 
I wasn't having a period, I wasn't ovulating, and of course there was no possibility that I would get, get pregnant. I didn't consider that as infertility because I knew. Mm-hmm. But had I gone to a doctor to talk about the fact that I want to be pregnant and I'm not, they would have probably given me some intervention like Clomid or something because my periods were just not, you know, my cycles weren't there and my periods weren't there. So this is the thing that we also need mm. to take into account, that it's not necessarily stress that's causing the issue. It's how that stress is perceived. Yes, there will definitely be an impact in how the body actually responds and adding things to your day-to-day, to your environment that are going to help you respond to whatever stressors yep. are being in your way. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that you would start doing. Can you see? So you would start putting in things that are going to help you to balance, to be able to actually take a breath. To, to be manage more stress Well, that's what well. I meant, though. To manage. That's what I meant. Ah, but see, they're different things. And so that's mm-hmm. more, also why it's so important to actually... Mm-hmm tease out what we actually mean in this component because otherwise what we do is we put everything together in the same basket we call it the same thing yeah that's good it's important i think as well it's sort of like exercise when you think about it danny like if you're like if your cardiovascular system needs some work you you impose a certain amount of stress to allow your body to be able to handle more stress in the long run um because i also think it's really good to know that right because i just think when people say oh just take things off your plate stop stressing so much that is so hard for people unrealistic to do and unrealistic, unrealistic for people to do yeah because they're not having anything to do with stresses me <laughs> yeah it's well, like, exactly and i would just re- yeah you just <coughs> reduce unnecessary little actions and then just yeah, yeah as you said okay swap them for ways to deal with stress so, yeah. was yeah. that better yeah or, okay or you enhance you enhance your ability to cope whether it's by introducing a mindful pra- mindfulness practice masturbation is my favorite um you know whether it is by going for a walk whether it is whatever it is Mm. that you're going to actually add that will help to regulate not food please let's let's do something different to you know yeah i think we've put everyone off now (laughs) yeah no more um, (laughs) (laughs) that that's closed that door the other food door let's go get exercise and sleep and all the other interventions but you see but this is parts of what we need to consider and again i think that what's important is not to call everything the same because everything Mm. is not the same and being very specific because remember how i asked you what are the things that you would start doing or stop doing so sure what's yours one thing I was going to say um, I would be, I would look more closely at the products and the chemicals and things like that, that I use, like what I'm washing with, what I'm putting on my face, yeah. what I'm yeah. shampooing and conditioning with. I know that's something that um, I don't put as much energy into at the moment. And like you yeah. said, it's, it's, it's like a compounding thing. It's not something yeah. that I'm up to addressing yet. Um, yeah. But that would be definitely something if I was having issues and I needed to address like endocrine dysfunction or detoxify more or whatever it is, that's probably the thing I would look at. And there's a great way of doing that as well. The Environmental Working Group, ewg.org forward slash skin deep, I think was their website. And they have a Sorry, just what was it? ewg.org forward slash, yeah, forward slash skin deep. So if you put Environmental Working Group, skin deep, uh, it's it's basically a project that they've uh, created several years back on looking at exactly the components within products and how they impact 
different areas of the body, different areas of biochemistry. And there is a whole uh, aspect there about specifically endocrine disruption. Mm -hmm. So when you actually go there and you search a product, it will come up with a rating for that product. For all my patients in the clinic, I recommend that whatever it is that they bring into their lifestyle and their immediate environment rates two or under. And sometimes you won't find the exact product, but you can actually search the ingredients of the product. Mm -hmm. And what I always recommend is that, because also the the combination of compounds will create different compounds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes chemicals haven't been studied. And so what happens is that they haven't been studied and their combinations haven't been studied, but we know that one of the products is an endocrine disruptor, for example. If it's combined with something else, it's probably going to be potentiated. Mm. And which you know made even more of an endocrine disruptor, which mm. then means that what you're looking at is if something that is in the ingredients list of that product is a four or a five or a six in out of ten in that rating, you want to avoid that product, even if the overall product is a two. Okay. Because cool. that can negatively impact your endocrine balance. Mm. So cool. when you are up for, you know, and this is also why for me, I use practically almost nothing. I use a soap Mm. and I use a moisturizer. And that is pretty much for the most part, that's kind of all I use. So becoming a bit more of a minimalist in your environment is actually going to serve you Mm. not only financially because you don't have to spend money on all of this stuff, Mm. but also from a, from a health perspective, it's going to have a a huge impact. I'm still trying to find a good natural deodorant because the ones that I've tried make me stink worse. Have you tried, (laughs) have you tried the, are we allowed to say this? I need a brand because I'm sick of, yeah. Have you tried the black chicken axilla sensitive? Mm. No, I would have remembered that name. Black chicken. Trust me. It's called Black Chicken is the brand. Axilla is the name Black of the deodorant. We just need to all move to farms, I think. I'm just okay. like, I'm going on. Sherelle, go back. <laughs> I'm coming. And, uh, and they have two versions. They have a sensitive version, which is the one that doesn't have bicarb soda because a lot of people re- react to bicarb soda um. and it creates like eczema type, you know, symptoms. Yeah. So I use their um, sensitive one. Amazing. Okay. It's a paste. Yeah, is it in a little? See, that creeps me yeah, out. Yeah, I have Is it peppermint? Is it like peppermint? No, I don't no. It's like peppermint. Peppermint's artificial, no. Sherelle. No, it's not, actually. <laughs> no peppermint no, oil. Not. No, it's no, not. No, no, yes. you, you can. You can. You got you me can. to get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, Tom, but really, it's it's amazing. They're, that deodorant, I love. And I've tried pretty much every single thing in the market. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely something that I do is like, I'm not a big product person. And when you, like, I've always just found that my skin and my hair and everything responds better when it's more natural. Like the real sulfur-based stuff and the things with all the shit in it, like it just, it doesn't align with me. So Mm. it's about, yeah, like refining that. And that would probably be the next thing because I feel like nutrition's good. Like I do all the other sort of stuff. And like you said, Danny, there's always more that you can improve on, but that Mm. would be my next sort of yeah for sure good question so look let's let's go through very quickly then some of the kind of surefire things that i would recommend people put in place awesome and you know they can then you know kind of do a little bit more of their own research i will provide a lot of these um, evidence-based strategies on a handout for you guys so that you can put it up um but you know things that will make a difference and we've just to recap as well thank you diet nutrition water 
filtered water, go back to uh, episode 26, <laughs> making sure that we've got the whole lemon drink implemented because that will definitely help on many levels. And then, of course, you know, I mean, a lot of the people listening to this podcast already leveraged the exercise piece. There's actually mm-hmm. quite a lot of evidence looking at uh, weight bearing exercise and improvement of PMS symptoms and PMDD. So those things are definitely going to help. Aerobic and weights training are both going to be beneficial and helpful. And of course, you need to be very careful about not overtraining, right? And giving your body a rest. And I know that you guys talk about this all the time because this will definitely be a huge impacting factor when it comes to PMS and PMDD. If you are overrunning your body, through exercise or anything else that puts an excessive amount of, you know, its ability to actually find balance, it's going to eventually find its it kind of its consequence somewhere, mm. right? And for different people, it will be different because we all have epigenetic predispositions. So, you know, like there is a person who, you know, we've all heard of, you know, somebody who has never smoked a day in their life and died of lung cancer and then another person who's a chain smoker and has never developed cancer. The reason for that is essentially epigenetics. It's the fact that the environment impacts one person's body differently to another person. And that differential impact definitely makes a difference. This is also why, you know, you have the people who get pregnant on a drunken night just by looking at each other and the people who really struggle a lot mm. to conceive, that differential impact happens because of epigenetics. So the, the same thing applies to endocrine disruption. You know, some people will be impacted in different ways. And that's why I was saying before, it's so important for you to understand your own body symptoms mm. because without understanding your own body and its own symptoms, it's going to be very difficult to treat. So in terms of so exercise, definitely. So those three things we've already talked about. Herbal medicines and nutritional supplementation will also be very helpful. I really am quite against self-prescription for the most part because I find that often yeah. it creates more problems than not. But Vitex Agnes Custers, which is Chase Berry, has been shown, and there's a lot of evidence to be, you know, to be that's out there on how it does help to balance most of your hormones. So there are different things that people can actually look at in terms of health food stores. Premular is a good, um, is a good, it's not a pill. It's a Vitex supplement. Um, It definitely is something that will, um, that will support hormonal balance, but it doesn't work the same way for every single person. So I think Mm. that's also the important thing that I don't really love about self-prescription is that I might say this and somebody might have a a reaction. So I would always recommend seeing someone, seeing someone you trust. Mm -hmm. So that way they can actually assess your case and make a prescription for you that actually is going to make a difference uh, Mm -hmm. in your situation. For your herbs, for example, Danny, I've got Vitex in there. Yeah, Um, great. So I love my herbs. One of, yeah, this is one of the things that you know makes a difference now yeah. nutrients and nutritional repletion which is the opposite of deficiency is going to be vital so the types of nutrients that you're looking at for hormonal balance are going to be things like fish oils and i mean high dose fish oils uh, liquid fish oils are my favorite because you are never going to be able to get a therapeutic dose by taking capsules. Mm. And one of the things that you will also find is that you can put your fish oils inside your lemon drink and just have that. Mm. Eating fish is not going to be enough. Okay. Plus it's extra toxic. There we so go. We yeah. Cockroaches of the that. ocean. Off the food. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we put that one to bed. 
just sprinkle then, your just sprinkle your fish oils on your chicken. It's the same thing. Oh You're god, just, yeah. it's stink. <laughs> There's your salmon right there. I'll take oh. your word yeah. for it, girl. I'll take your word for it. I prefer to just shut the thing down and just be done with it. You know, it makes me gag. Um, but anyways, yeah. 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 Always but brush your like, teeth you know, after. Oh yes. Oh, that's. I'm living it. I'm living having my shot of fish oil, and I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> it's working it's working that's all we care about um so then we've got things like you know calcium and magnesium those are Mm. very important nutrients Mm. for hormonal balance and you know the truth there is truth to the whole if you're craving chocolate you're probably low in magnesium but you're probably also low in chromium or you're probably also like like me (laughs) you're probably like me they're just like chocolate right so there's there's all of those variations out there and i think that we need to respect what what is true um but yes i mean also for women in particular it's going to be absolutely vital to check your uh iron levels you know Mm -hmm. your major nutrients for fertility are going to also be found in your um potassium in your zinc zinc is very crucial for fertility so those pieces need to be assessed and you need to then figure out okay do i need to have some supplementation in terms of this I would say goodbye to the pill and really start to look at natural hormonal, uh, non-hormonal contraception. And again, charting cycles is one of my favorites because it really does put you in tune with your body, with how your body responds, what your body's doing. And you can literally see when you're ovulating and you can then actually use contraception like a condom or the diaphragm or something else that you might want to use. And if you are using things like an IUD, for example, make sure that it's a non-medicated IUD. So mm-hmm. just a copper IUD, which I don't love, by the way, especially for long-term fertility. The fact that the way that the IUD works is by creating an inflammatory response in the uterus, and that's going on all of the time. Not my favorite method of contraception, but if you've already had your children and you want to try something different, that perhaps could be something that you that you leverage. But certainly, look, I have used natural contraception by charting my cycles and understanding my cycles for, I would say now, about 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. 15 plus years. I have never accidentally gotten pregnant. So it's mm-hmm. absolutely possible. It's absolutely doable. And What's the window about- for that? Like you just see, so people a woman, know, a woman, a woman cannot, in terms of conception. Yeah, like of, how do you do that? Okay, so here's the thing: a woman can only really get pregnant twenty four hours, twelve to twenty four hours in a month. Mm. That is the the wow. amount of time that the egg lasts. The sperm can last three to five days. Seven them. days, we're talking about seriously geriatric sperm. And yes, it is them. It's but, you know, them. as a result, we are we're efficient and they just want to hang around. In and out. Yeah. <laughs> we are the ones who end up medicating ourselves for 30 days. Actually, that's so true. <laughs> because of a 12 to 24 wow. hour window that is due to the male sperm to begin with. So bring on the male contraceptive pill. Do you know what, Gab? I wouldn't trust that anyone I, would take it, though. That's that come out, no, that come out this year, I'm pretty sure. Like the male, yeah, and I said to Luke, you know, I said to Luke, oh my I god, said, oh, darling, they're bringing out this male pill, and he goes, fuck that, I wouldn't take it. And I was like, ah, ah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's good for the goose is not good for the gander, right? Yeah, that is the response of every male under yeah. the sun, absolutely. Right? So, 
I mean, the reality <laughs> is that this is never going to change. Contraception is always going to fall on a woman's prerogative. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a matter of ensuring that you do the very best thing for your body that's going to support you in your long-standing reproductive life and mm. beyond. Because, I mean, really, sure, I mean, when you become menopausal, you can have as much sex as you want without getting pregnant. But here's the, the, here's the problem with that, is that sometimes women will release an odd egg oh, here shit. and there. I oh had a woman, God. I had a woman at 51, she was not trying to get pregnant. She... She came into the clinic because she was wanting to talk about a hysterectomy because her fibroids are really bothering her. She goes into the office of the obstetrician, comes out seven months pregnant at 51. Seven Seven months? Uh, She was overweight, so she couldn't quite necessarily kind of tell that she was actually not. She was having a baby do somersault in her uterus, not the fibroids. You know, so. Wow, yep. (gasps) Yeah, yeah. So Mm. you see. This is why even, you know, if you, if you have stopped having God. periods, so if you're over 45, 50, you've stopped having periods for five years, mm. you can be pretty safe mm. in the knowledge that you are probably menopausal and you're not going to get accidentally pregnant like Oof. this lady did. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. know your cycle, chart mm. your temperatures and make sure that you're doing the yeah. things that you need to do to prevent that. I oh, know. by the way. Just one very quick and exciting thing I heard this week. Aura, the third generation. I saw that. Is coming out with a chart because of the, they improved their temperature charting and tracking technology yeah. in the ring. So now you're going to be able to track your symptoms, your, your track your temperatures, which is exactly, you know, what we tell, what so I tell good. people to do is track it with a thermometer in their mouth, under their tongue, close their mouth, wait until it beeps, and you write it down every single day mm-hmm. and you put it into a tracking app. And then you can see it. But the aura ring is going to do this now. So it's very exciting. Oh, I've already ordered Sorry, good. It's very wait. exciting. Wait. Oh, see, we need to get a new one. Sadly. And we need to organise a contract with bloody aura ring. Because you really <laughs> that we've all you plugged do. them. Exactly. Um, That's exactly. exciting, go, though. Go message them now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, some really good points there. And I think, like, just to recap like everything today, there's been a lot in it, right? I think it's just so important where you track your cycles. And I know it's odd as well, but like there are some women that can ovulate more than once in a month, right, as well. So when yes. you know what your yes. signs of ovulation Oof. are, yeah, like don't just rely on what your app tells you as well. Like be your 100%. own researcher in your own body yeah, so that you can, act, you can chart and you make the decisions and you can make the informed choices to make sure that you can get to, I guess, the result that you want to. And mm. Danny and I really just wanted to bring this episode because, you know, even though we might um, be, I guess, like I don't experience a whole lot of PMS styled symptoms, to be honest, and I'm quite regular, but I know there's so many women out there that mm. run into these sorts of things and just put up with it. They're like, mm. oh, yeah, well, migraines monthly, I'll, that's just what I deal with. Or, mm. you know, being bent mm. over, having like a hemorrhage is just the way I bleed. Yeah. And mm. A lot of these sorts of things aren't normal. So starting yeah. the conversation about being curious about what direction can I go in? 100%. And that there's more ways than just Western medicine. It's so Yeah, and, and, and actually on that, Cheryl, just very, I will just say one last thing very quickly, which is very important for people to understand when they're charting their cycle. Temperature charting is going to be a retrospective. 
uh, situation where you're charting a cycle, you'll be able to see what has happened to your cycle in the past and you'll be able to potentially correlate it with your future. But your mucus changes throughout the month mm. are your predictive symptoms that you're looking out for. Mm. The mucus changes throughout the month from very sick, very thick and sticky and gluggy, like glue-like. It starts to become when you actually put it on your fingers, don't check it with toilet paper because you won't have the same effect. But when you check it at the mouth of the vagina, clean, clean hands, of course, mouth of the vagina, just making sure that you're actually getting, okay, what does it feel like? What does it look like? And when you're checking that in the very beginning, post-period, you're going to have very little to no mucus it's very thick and tacky then it starts to become more stretchy right as as you start to lead and approach ovulation it starts to become uh, thinner it starts to stretch more when you've got in your hands it's you know it will stretch to up about say you know two centimeters then as you start to lead up to a couple of days prior to a uh, ovulation what will happen is that your mucus will literally become like egg white it, you will be able to actually stretch it like you know sometimes you wipe yourself in the toilet and there will be that <laughs> i know it sounds we all know if you know you know that's when the good exactly. times are coming if you know exactly that's when the good times are coming everything is more lubricated your mucus is definitely way stretchier it can literally stretch like half a meter and uh and it's very egg white like and that precedes ovulation by one to two days. When you get back, mm. you know ovulation is about to occur. So if you don't want to get pregnant, you better start using condoms because otherwise you will be very likely to be hitting your fertile window and yeah. when your egg is actually released. Then after ovulation happens, everything dries up, everything kind of, you know, there's no more mucus really. The, the last week before a period, most women, have no mucus at all. Mm. And then, of course, you get a period. Now, there's discharge that can happen throughout the month. Depending on the discharge, it can also be a sign of thrush. It can be a sign of other infections that, you know, particularly if there is a smell in nature through to the discharge, it's important to get that checked. Having swabs at the GP is going to be vital because you will be able to understand, are you actually, do you have some kind of infectious or, um, you know, kind of sometimes we over bacteria, our own bacteria overgrows and mm. bacterial vaginosis is something that can also happen for women. It does impact negatively the ability to conceive for women and men because bacterial vaginosis associated bacteria, we just did a, a meta-analysis on this, and there's definitely a correlation between when women have BV and they have sexual intercourse with their partner, what happens is that they then contract the, that bacteria, goes into their um, urethra and, of course, can impact sperm. Mm. So looking at all of those pieces as well, understanding your discharge, understanding what's normal discharge, understanding whether the discharge changes in nature, shape, uh, smell, colour, all of those pieces is going to be vital to understanding your cycle as well. Great. So it's, again, it's about, as you said, making sure that you are looking at what's going on and starting to correlate those symptoms effectively. Mm, yeah, Beautiful. so many good takeaways. And, and like you said, if you're not charting, you don't know, you're guessing. It's the same with everything else. You can't rely on your own like recall um, to be able to determine the symptoms or the changes or the interventions that you need to make. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for coming on again, Gab. It's you're a wealth of knowledge <laughs> and I feel like there's so many different directions that we could always go in. Um, but we really hope that everyone's got some key takeaways mm. and we will be providing 
providing a resource that Gabby's actually put together um, in the show notes as well, just with some more takeaways um, for you guys and girls to be able to take from the episode. Thanks so much for coming back. We love you. Thank (laughs) Thank you. I love you girls. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And as always, um, guys and girls, if you did enjoy this episode, please do take a screenshot um, and tag us all on Instagram. We've also got a podcast that we put out with Gabby um, a couple of weeks ago as well. So if you haven't tuned over um, and listened to that, make sure you do so. Yeah. Talk sex with Gabriella Rosa. Thanks, guys. Beautiful.